Uh, Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. These are great words. Uh, I know I'm biased, but I love the book of Revelation. I love Revelation. I'd preach on Revelation every Sunday if you let me. Uh, but I want to I invite you to listen to the words uh, that John the, the Revelator wrote to the church. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us and freed us from our sins by his blood and made us to be a kingdom, priests serving his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Look, I like the King James here, behold, he is coming with the clouds. Every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And on, the, and on his account, all the tribes of the earth will wail. So it is to be, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who was and is and who is to come, the Almighty. This is the written word of God. Thanks be to God, amen. So shortly after Kayla and I got married, uh, over 10 years ago now, after we got married, we bought our first car together. And that was a special moment for us. I remember test driving the car, and we were in Olathe, Kansas, where I was a resident, we called it a resident educator, every other school calls it an RD, resident director, at Mid-American Nazarene University in just south of Kansas City. And we, I remember tooling around and test driving this 2012 Nissan Rogue we were pretty excited to get a new-to-us vehicle. It hadn't been used much. We were actually, I think it was a loaner, like it was a, the dealership had loaned it out to people, so it didn't have anybody who had previously owned it, and we were, we were so excited. We didn't know much about Nissan or any cars, uh, really, but that didn't matter much because we had a new car, and that was exciting. It was a big deal for us. 24 years old, buying our first car, but then there was this weird phenomenon I noticed once we had a 2012 Nissan Rogue. This weird thing kept happening where I started seeing it everywhere. We just got our new car, and then it seemed like everyone else in the world had the same car as us. I thought, we're getting a pretty unique car here. I've never heard of a Nissan Rogue. Then we get out on the road, and it seems like everybody that summer decided that they were going to buy the same car as us. Did something happen where everybody just bought the same car at the same time? How was it that, that we started seeing our car all over the road? And then this week, Kayla told me a story that's not dissimilar. We're expecting our second daughter, and so we are regularly talking about new baby names. I should say more accurately, Kayla is really excited about talking about baby names. Should we name her this? Should we name her this right here? Should we name her that? Oh, no, we can't name her that. I, I went to high school with somebody named that, and I just can't do that. What about this name? But Kayla has one name that's been standing out to her. It's been kind of regularly on her mind. And this week, Kayla said to me, I keep seeing this name. Everywhere I look, this name shows up on my Instagram, well, on in these magazines, whatever. And I keep seeing the name... I'm not going to spoil it. Sorry. Um, yeah, Millie thought that was funny. Uh, so is it that this name is now all of a sudden this week in print materials and on social media more than last week? Is it that this name became really popular overnight? 
Well, I looked it up, and that actually might be the case for this name because I looked it up, and it is a very popular name right now, so it could be that it's more present everywhere, but it could also be that Kayla now has eyes to see that name. Since that name has become important to her, it now stands out to her. Three weeks ago, she might have just glossed over that name and not noticed it when she was reading or paid attention to it. Just like when I saw my 2012 Nissan Rogue all over the roads, I had never seen one before. It's probably not that there were more of that car on the road than before. It's probably that I had eyes to see it when I hadn't previously. It had become important to me, so I noticed it. Prior to purchasing the vehicle, I just didn't recognize that car when I drove past it, right? But when I owned it, when it was mine, it was everywhere. My eyes had been trained. I had eyes to see it. And church, today is Christ the King Sunday. An often forgotten or never even acknowledged holy day, holiday in the church. And I'm preaching today from the book of Revelation. This is one of the best holy days in the church year, and Revelation is one of the best books of the entire Bible. Seriously, if you had to, like, if you put a gun to my head and said you only get one book outside of the Gospels, and all of the canon, and all of the Bible, of all the 66 books, you can keep the Gospels because, you know, they're the Gospels. But if you had to pick one other book, what would it be? I'd pick Revelation. To me, this is the fullness of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I know many people are... They have trepidation about how to read Revelation, how to understand it, how to apply it. But when you have eyes to see what's happening in the book of Revelation, the book becomes not a book of terror, but it becomes a book of life. It becomes a book of hope. And it is one of the most encouraging books of the Bible for those who call themselves Christian. If I had to pick one book, it would be Revelation. But for Christ the King Sunday, thankfully, we don't have one of those Revelation passages that is way out there, you know, the creatures with all the heads and appendages. No, for Christ the King Sunday, the passage is right at the introduction to the author's work, and he's addressing seven churches in Asia. Or maybe more accurately, he writes letters to seven churches which represent the whole of the church. The revelation of Jesus Christ to John was penned not just for those seven congregations he names later on in this chapter, in the next chapter, but for the whole church. Because in the book of Revelation, numbers carry theological weight. When you read through Revelation and you see a number, try not to think literally, but think theologically, what does this number mean? So he writes to seven churches, and seven is the number of completion or perfection. So Jed, you've reached your perfect birthday These words are not just for those seven congregations. This is for the church, capital C Church, which includes us. These words are for you and for me as well. And today is Christ the King Sunday. All hail King Jesus. As I shared in my weekly email to you this week, Christ the King Sunday was established almost 100 years ago in response to growing fascism in continental Europe by Pope Pius XI. The Pope at that time, Pius XI, he established this holiday to remind the church that their allegiance is pledged to Christ and to Christ's kingdom. It was a reminder to the church that their citizenship, as Paul writes in Philippians, our citizenship is in heaven. 
There's just one problem with Christ the King Sunday. There may be more, but for the purposes of this message, there's one problem. And the problem is, how often does Jesus claim his kingship? In the gospel stories, through the gospel narratives, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how often does Jesus claim his status as king? Let's try to remember together, shall we? There are a few times when he's called king or tried to be made king. One of those stories is from the Gospels after Jesus feeds the 5,000 families. Do you remember what that crowd did on that hillside after he fed the 5,000 families? The scriptures say that the crowd tried to force him to be their king. They tried to make him king by force. And how does Jesus respond to being made king? The gospel tells that he flees, he runs away. He, run, he ran away from being called king. And then as we read earlier this morning from the gospel of John, Pontius Pilate asked Jesus, are you really the king of the Jews? Jesus says, oh, my kingdom is not of this world. If you think that's the type of king I am, you're mistaken. He says, you say that I am a king. But then he goes on to say, for this I was born, and for this I came into the world. Here's the reason I'm here, to testify to the truth. That's what he says. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Essentially, Jesus is saying, hey, you can say that I'm a king. You can say that I'm a king, but I'm telling you right now, my my purpose here is to point people to the truth. My purpose here is to reveal truth to people who will listen to my voice. And I don't think it's unfair to say that Jesus never owns his own kingship, his own royalty, his own royal status in his life, at least not from the gospel stories that we have. He never exercises his dominion, at least it doesn't look like that. In the gospel of John, Jesus says he will be lifted up. That's royal language. He will be enthroned. He will be lifted up. But there's one problem. How was Jesus lifted up in the Gospel of John? In what way was Jesus lifted up? There's a story in the, in that uh, I think Pastor Justin preached on this, and I, it was, I was reminded of it. There's a story of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, called the Sons of Thunder. It's a great name. Um, they sound like wrestlers, right? Um, tag team duo in WWF, um, the sons of thunder, and they say to Jesus, hey, let us sit at your right and at your left. When your kingdom comes in power, can we have the seats of authority? And Jesus says, you guys don't even know what you're asking. You don't even know what you're asking. There will be those who are lifted up next to me, but it's not for me to choose. Who were those who were lifted up next to Christ? In the gospel stories, those who are lifted up next to Christ are called bandits. We call them thieves because that's a more comfortable term. They were bandits. They were enemies of the state. You weren't crucified unless you were an enemy of the state. Jesus is lifted up on a cross. How is the royal status of Christ exemplified? Not on a throne, on a cross. So Christ the King Sunday is problematic because Jesus just doesn't act like a king. At least not like the kings and rulers that we imagine. 
and not like the kings and rulers that Jesus' followers imagined either. So maybe we ought not to be too hard on ourselves if we misunderstand what Jesus' kingship actually looks like. Because have you heard of this guy named Judas Maccabeus? A lot of Protestants don't know who Judas Maccabeus was. His story is told not in our Bibles. His story is told in what's called the Apocrypha, or the intertestamental books, the Maccabees. Maccabeus was a name that meant the hammer. Judas, the hammer. We got, man, we got another wrestler in the, in the house today. We got the sons of thunder versus the hammer. Judas Maccabeus, Judas the hammer, he led a successful revolt against the Greek overlords in 160 BC. Judas Maccabeus was, was he established an army and the Maccabean revolt overthrew the Seleucid army, the Greek army, like King David before him, Judas was a savior for the Israelites because he freed the citizens through conquest. This is what the followers of Jesus had in mind when they said, you will be our king. We need another Judas because the Greeks might not be lording over us, but guess who is? We got the Romans now, and they're worse. So we need you, Jesus, to be our king, to raise up an army to fight for us like King David, like Judas the hammer. I think that's what they expected Jesus to be as king, and I think that's sometimes who we expect Jesus to be as king, someone who will conquest for us. But if it's not how we would expect, the question for us today is, how does Jesus reign as king? If it's not as maybe the world expects, how does Jesus exercise his power and exercise his dominion? We have a clue in verse 5 of Revelation 1. We are told that Christ freed us, right? It says he freed us. And this is what rulers do and kings do, right? This is what they're supposed to do. This is what King David did. This is what Judas Maccabeus did. They offer their people freedom. Now, we Americans might not have a king, but we do not forget how it is that we got our freedom, right? Judas Maccabeus was kind of like a George Washington for the Israelites. But in Revelation, we are told that Jesus doesn't bring freedom by waging war or by shedding someone else's blood. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 says that Jesus brings freedom how? Unlike Maccabeus, he freed us from our sins by his blood. By whose blood? By the blood of his enemies? It's not how kings are supposed to work, guys. Kings are supposed to grant freedom by taking the blood of our enemies. Jesus exercised his kingship by offering his own blood. He freed us not by taking life, but by giving his own. It's not how kings are supposed to work. So I wonder if if we don't always see Jesus as our king, I wonder if we don't always see Jesus as our king, maybe because we're looking for a different kind of king. We're looking for Jesus to raise up a politician. We're looking for Jesus to raise up a general. We're looking for Jesus to raise up a leader. 
I wonder if we don't always see Jesus as our king because we're not looking for him to be our king. I wonder if we don't always see Jesus as our king because we don't always have eyes to see him where he's at work. Maybe we don't always see Jesus as our king because we don't understand just what type of king he is. The question for us then is, where then ought we look? This is what John the Revelator writes, look, behold, he's coming, he's here. This is the one who was, who is, and is to come. So yeah, we will see his kingdom in the future, but guess what? The kingdom was established long before and the kingdom is now if you can behold it, if you can see it. So the question is, where do we look? And this week, I caught a glimpse of King Jesus at work in this world that I wanted to share with you. I wasn't expecting it. I wasn't anticipating it. I wasn't, honestly, I wasn't even looking for it. You may have seen this week that Oklahoma Oklahoma Governor Stitt commuted the death sentence of Julius Jones. Julius Jones was convicted of first-degree murder in 2002, a murder that was committed in 1999, and he was sentenced by the jury to the death penalty. After reviewing the evidence, the governor felt like the case was not airtight enough to deserve death. So the governor commuted the sentence and instead sentenced him to life in prison. And now I don't always show my cards when it comes to these matters, but As someone who is very much an advocate for life, I celebrate, I will always celebrate when any person is removed from death row. That's where I am, because I don't believe that, I don't believe that anyone is deserving of death when there's an opportunity for repentance and and redemption and reconciliation. Who am I to be able to determine that they might not have the opportunity to be redeemed? But that, in his, it, that commutation is not exactly where I saw King Jesus at work. Or maybe it is, but it's not, at, at least it's not what I wanted to share with you today. What I wanted to share was that a few weeks ago during Sunday school, children from a local Oklahoma church, Oklahoma Nazarene Church, a Sunday school class, they wrote letters to Jones in the last few weeks of his life. They knew he was going to be put to death just down the road in Oklahoma City. So that Sunday school class of a few kids wrote letters to Jones in prison in his last few weeks of life. I don't know what the letters said. I didn't read them, but I assume that there were words of encouragement. I assume that they were praying for Jones, and I'm sure that there were even some questions for him. And at the time of their writing letters to Julius Jones, he believed he only had a few weeks left to live. Two, Two weeks tops. He's in the midst of lawyer conversations, He's, I mean, he's trying to figure out if there's a way that he can uh, figure out a new trial. In the last few weeks he had left to live, do you know what he did? He replied to every single letter from that Sunday school class in his own handwriting. He sent in the mail individual letters to every child who wrote him thanking them for their prayers, thanking them for their concerns and their questions, knowing that he would not have much time left on earth, he found it worth his while to to reply to a small Sunday school class from a Nazarene church in Oklahoma. I think that's where Christ is at work. 
Our king is present in the small acts of generosity and charity between innocent children and an inmate on death row. Do not forget who it was that Christ was lifted up with. Who was it that Christ was lifted up with in his glory at the cross? He was lifted up with bandits who had been placed on death row. Do we have eyes to see the small, simple acts that our king is doing in this world? Just this morning, just this morning, I was told a story by Christy Hayden. Right before church, Christy told me the story, and she said I could share it, so I'm sharing it. Christy's mother passed away not long ago, just a few weeks ago. Christy's granddaughter is seven. Is that what you said? Seven-year-old granddaughter was dearly, dearly grieved by the loss of her great-grandmother. And Christy's granddaughter, Christy's daughter told her granddaughter that, uh, that her, her mother was making swans. And so Christy's granddaughter drew a picture of swans and knew, she knew her great-grandmother well, and so she drew in that picture lavender flowers because her great-grandmother loved lavender. And this seven-year-old girl who was grieving the loss of her great-grandmother at the funeral said, I want to leave this in the casket with my great-grandma. This is what she loved, and I love her. Is that going to make headlines? Is that going to get put out in the news? This is the work of King Jesus. Small acts of charity, small acts of generosity, small acts of love and compassion. Church, the message is simple today. The message is simple. It's what John wrote to the seven churches. It's what John wrote to all of the church. It's what John wrote to us. Here's the message for you and I today. Look. Behold. That's it. Look for Christ to be your king, but don't look in the places where kings are normally working because that's not where our king works. Our king works in the trenches. Our king works in the weeds. Our king works on death row. Our king works with the forgotten, the overlooked, the marginalized, the oppressed. Our king works with children. Our king works from the cross from sorrow and sacrifice. Our king works from the cross because the cross is his throne. He offers us freedom not by taking others' blood, but by offering his own. He brings freedom not by taking others' life, but by giving his own. So look, church, because once we have eyes to see Jesus with the hurting and with the broken, we might just see him everywhere. Once we have eyes to see Jesus at work in the trenches and on death row and in the margins, we might not be able to, um, to miss him. Like my 2012 Nissan Rogue. Or like that name that Kayla wants for Baby Q 2.0. Once we have eyes to see, Jesus just might pop up everywhere. So just look. And just keep looking, because our king is, is there. If we look in the right places, 
Look, this is the good news of God for the people of God. I want to invite the musicians to come forward. We're going to sing together. Thank you for listening to another Hastings Naz podcast. We are so pleased that you have shown interest in listening to this podcast, and we pray that it is edifying and beneficial for you. You can watch us live every Sunday morning on Facebook, facebook.com slash Hastings Naz. And if you are so inclined, you can support the ministries of the church by going to hastingsnaz.org slash give. Hope you enjoy this sermon. Grace and peace.